and to uh, preach uh, the word at partner churches of our ministry, um, both because I uh, see that as a high privilege uh, to stand before you preaching God's word, uh, but also uh, to be able to share a little bit about our ministry. Uh, RUF um, is the uh, Presbyterian's uh, denominational campus ministry, uh, UPC's uh, denomination. And uh, we as a denomination have really believed in this integral partnership between campus ministry and local church. And, and the reason being is because we believe that Jesus has given his promises to advance his kingdom through the church. And that uh, the church um, is the way that he has chosen to advance his kingdom. And so when people, when I visit churches, they often ask me, how's RUF going? And I'll, I'll say, as many RUF staff members will say, ask me in 10 years. And the reason being is because if the students involved in RUF now are active, vital, generous, loving, sacrificial members of the local church, then right now RUF is doing really well. But we can't go to see that 10-year vision come to fruition unless we have churches and people like you who want us to go to campus. And so I'm really grateful for churches like UPC for us to be able to show up in the lives of students. As you may know, students, they ask a lot of really big, important questions as they show up on campus. Uh, they ask questions um, like, okay, who am I going to follow now that I'm in college? Or said another way, what's my authority? Like, how am I going to determine truth? They often ask questions like, okay, how do I know if I'm okay? Or said another way, how do I know my standing before God, before others? How do I answer that question? And then when they've lived enough life uh, on their own, oftentimes students will ask um, a question that arises out of some self-reflection. They notice they're not as they want to be or they should be. And so they start asking, how do I change? How do I experience change in the Christian life? And maybe the question I get the most explicitly, the one that's actually asked me, all those others often are kind of under the surface. They're more implicit. But the one I get asked explicitly is, how do I know my purpose? What's my purpose? And church, we believe that the gospel has amazing answers to those questions that students are asking. And so we couldn't go to show up and bring the good news that they have an authority, his very word to teach them, to guide them in this life, that they have there the preaching of this amazing thing that y'all have been hearing about for weeks on end in Galatians, this idea of justification, that in and of themselves, they could never by their own works or obedience stand before God and be okay, but because of another one who has justified them, they are righteous and they are able to stand with confidence in the presence of God. And because of that, they actually now can answer the question with freedom of how do I change because they've been given the power of the Spirit to come alongside them. And then finally, through all the ways that question of what's my purpose can be answered, uh, we love to be able to come alongside students and help them see that first and foremost, they are to seek the kingdom because that's their final destination. That is where they are going to dwell in the established kingdom of their King Jesus forever. And he's inviting them now in the present to participate in that vision. And so we love being able to be sent out by churches like you uh, to be able to join Jesus in the work that he's doing on college campuses. So thank you. Um, I know that uh, y'all have been going through uh, Galatians 
the past several weeks, and we're going to pick up there as uh, well. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. And if you would, once you turn there, if y'all would stand for the reading of God's word. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. This is God's word, worthy of our attention and full obedience. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Uh, pray with me. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your gospel of free grace, how it points us to greater love for you and to increase our love for neighbor. Um, and so often we have uh, blurred vision and do not see your truth. So often we are slow to hear your truth. So often our hands are slow to do what you call us to do. And so by the power of your spirit, would you shine light on the reading and preaching of your word that we might be found faithful in your sight to respond uh, to this invitation we have from you this morning. We pray all of this in your precious name. Amen. So as y'all have been going through Galatians, um, y'all have been talking about this idea of what is freedom in the Christian life and how that's defined differently than is often talked about in more cultural uh, definitions of uh, freedom. And so um, the way in which it's often defined in uh, culture is that freedom is simply that you can do whatever you want. Uh, that's, that's often how it is, it is talked about. Uh, but in Scripture, we have a, another um, definition or the way that it is referred to, that for Christian freedom— it is the freedom to do what you were made to do, to do what you were created to do. And so Paul, he, he spent the last four chapters uh, in Galatians uh, 1 through 4 really setting a foundation, uh, this foundational truth, kind of building a strong skeleton of like, if this goes, then Christianity goes. That is, that if you try and build your life on anything else but the free grace of God, you have no hope. But then he makes this turn in the beginning of chapter 5 in our passage today. He's um, continuing down it to kind of unpack that of, okay, now that we have this foundation, this strong skeleton, what does it look like? How do we put some flesh on it to obey? What does it look like to be free? And as y'all have been talking about, it's, it's to be free to be what you were made to be. And that definition logically makes sense to us in most other realms, uh, if you were to see a fish trying to climb a tree, your first thought would not be, that's a free fish. Um, nor if you saw a horse trying to fly like a bird, you would not think, now there is a free horse. No, it's, it's logical. We know it kind of in our observations that, that freedom really is living into what you were created to be. Except in culture, so often we define it differently as doing whatever it is that you want. And so what I want 
to see in this passage from Paul is what does it look like then to be who we were made to be in Christian community? What is the call for our life? I get to see um, a response to freedom oftentimes as a college minister. Uh, when, when students show up, um, I I see this often. I, this actually is an observation from another campus minister, but I, I've really appreciated it because I see it as well. And there's this moment that college students experience uh, this realization of freedom, and it, it happens on move-in day. Uh, whether or not their parents join them to help them pack and to set up their dorm rooms or their apartment, when that door closes and the parents leave and they're sitting there staring at their roommate or if they're in their room by themselves, there's this realization of oh, wow, I'm free. Nobody's here watching me. Nobody's here telling me what to do. Nobody is here telling me how I should do it. I really do feel free. But if you fast forward six weeks and meet with those students, oftentimes they haven't really handled that freedom well. Oftentimes uh, what's happened is uh, they might have gone one or two directions. Uh, Sometimes they get really homesick. Um, and that's not, that's not wrong, but what they end up doing is they find themselves going home most weekends rather than trying to figure out what to do with this new freedom, learning what it looks like to live in this new place. And rather than really leaning into that, this, this freedom that they have, they, they want to return home. And now what I'm not saying, college students hear me say this, that to return home is slavery, I'm not saying that. Um, Your parents will appreciate a visit. You should do that. But as Paul is talking to the Galatians in the first part of chapter 5, he's saying, you're returning home, as it were. You're trying to make a home again under the law, trying to establish yourself, your freedom from your works, your righteousness according to the law, and you can never make a home there. In fact, you are submitting again to slavery. And so Paul is cautioning the Galatians, don't go back. But in our passage that we just read, he also is cautioning them about another error. Don't use your freedom for an opportunity of the flesh. And this is another group of students that when they show up to college for the first six weeks, they start making a series of decisions that after six weeks, they sit down with somebody like me and they don't even recognize themselves anymore. They say things like, I never thought I would but I did this, or I can't believe I did that when I promised myself that that would never happen. And in those meetings, I see that what they thought was freedom was them running to things that actually have enslaved them. And Paul is warning them about both of these. Don't return home, but also don't run to your uh, flesh as an opportunity to experience, quote, freedom. And so that w- that's what Paul is setting up here in Galatians 5. And his, his argument is, I wasn't here uh, for, for last week's passage, but it's one of the strongest languages that Paul uses in all of his letters. He is not playing around here. He is saying this is deadly serious to get this right. And so we're going to continue to look at what is this freedom that we have in the Christian life. If it's not returning home to uh, be under slavery for the works righteousness, trying to make our status before God secure, but it's also not using our freedom for license, then what is the purpose 
of Christian freedom. We're going to look at this under three points if you're a note-taking type. The first point is the call to freedom. The second is the definition of freedom. And the third and final point is the protection of freedom. That's the call to freedom, the definition of freedom, and the protection of freedom. So first, the call to freedom. So in, in addressing the Galatians here, he, he is saying in the Galatians, there's a present and a potential future behavior that he's cautioning them against. He's saying, don't use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But he's referring to a past reality. And he says that this past reality is a call. And this call is with a purpose, a purpose to freedom, it says in verse 13. So what's the call? Well, this call is so important for the Christian life. It is a call to have a free approach to God, to be welcomed into the presence of God. It comes from God, and all those who are called and hear it respond. They respond without hesitation. They respond without pause. Uh, They respond without trying to clean themselves up or wait until they are worthy, because that call comes to the ungodly and only the ungodly. But the call comes from God. And Paul says elsewhere that God justifies the ungodly. He says that in Romans 4, 5. And this call doesn't leave them there, but it actually delivers them, Paul is saying, to freedom. It's delivering them to freedom, to be what they were made to be. And this is a process that Paul in Romans elsewhere refers to, uh, to this. He says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among, among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, very briefly, I want to focus on three of those terms there that were mentioned, called, justified, and this idea of being conformed to the image of his son. Because what Paul's doing here in Galatians 5, he's speaking directly about two of those. That is, this call and this process of being conformed more and more into the image of his son. But he's also speaking out of everything he has just said about the third, about justification, being declared or proclaimed righteous in the sight of God. And so this call, this call, like I said, you can no more train yourself to hear it than you can resist it when it comes. This call has power. It is a calling from God to the ungodly by his spirit. And it is actually the call that convinces the one being called of their ungodliness. It convinces them of their sin. It convinces them of the misery of this world that we have made our home in, that we are comfortable with. It convinces them of all that and actually renews their mind and will. It changes them. It makes them look to Jesus and see him as beautiful, not a threat, not a stumbling block, but a savior as a Lord to follow. And it does this by holding out the free offer of the gospel. And then when this call, when it comes to you, it not only calls you, but it gives you that power to respond to it. And Paul is saying that this is important, Galatian church, for you to remember. That in order to reach the purpose that you are called to, to freedom, you need to know that you were called not for anything in and of yourselves, but because of the one whom called you. That is where the power lies. This might be a silly example, 
but most of my examples are. Um, I get spam calls all the time, a lot of unknown numbers that call me, and most of the time I just let it ring or ignore it. Sometimes I get curious and I answer, um, but I have the choice to pick up the phone. I have the choice to decide how long I want to stay on the phone, uh, how much I want to converse with whoever uh, the other person is. This call is not like this. It's not a spam call. It's more like a summons from a judge. And this summons from a judge actually is given to you, and that summons basically has the power to make you show up to the appointment. But on this call, the amazing good news of the gospel is that it is not a call from a judge so that judgment might be rendered, but it's a call that you might stand before the judge and hear the good news that judgment has already been rendered. You are by faith righteous. You have another that though you have sinned, that though you have lived a life um, that is not up to the standards of the law, you have a substitute, someone who lived in your place, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came, lived for you, died for you, gives you his perfect record, and enables you to stand freely in the presence of God. That is yours in Christ. And this call from this judge or summons, if you will, is one that you cannot refuse. But you are given the ability to respond by grace. And that's what he's referring to in verse 13, this call to freedom. And yet there's a, there's a really important aspect that he qualifies this call to freedom. This call doesn't just come to individuals. He says, brothers, for you are called to freedom, brothers. And this word really helps us understand the second point, the definition of Christian freedom. The definition of freedom, it comes not only to individuals like we said, but it comes giving them free access to God, also calling them into a community, into a people that they are to be a part of. Christian freedom, he's showing here, is a a freedom that cannot be defined without this communal aspect It cannot be defined without these other people involved. And now a lot of popular definitions of freedom in our day, they also even add a communal element to the definition. They have a caveat, if you will. They'll say freedom is to be and do whatever you want so long as you don't hurt anyone. And that's often the the caveat to this definition of freedom. And if you poll most Americans, freedom as a value for our country uh, comes up as one of the highest cultural values. But as soon as you introduce the topic of, okay, how do we positively define freedom? As soon as we try and do that, you get crickets. Because giving a description of what one should value, we no longer can agree on that definition anymore. And so what happens um, is that we just don't define it. We just define it in the negative, so long as you don't hurt anyone else. Said another way, it's perfectly acceptable to talk about what people value, but the issue comes when you start to get into the question of what should one value. To impose my value or my definition of freedom, that's intolerance. We, We can't do that. So though it is the highest good for for most of us in in our culture, it's a value without true definition. But Scripture and Paul, he doesn't leave the Galatian church there and doesn't leave us there this morning, but he actually gives a definition. It's a simple definition. It's a one-word definition. It is love. Freedom 
for the Christian is love. Love of God and love of neighbor. It's to recognize that you were created to love God, to be loved by him, and to love others. That is the Christian life of freedom. And it's a life that you are growing to be better lovers of both God and neighbor. Said another way, when we start out in the Christian life, we are called, as, as we said, as ungodly, as sinners, but we are justified, seen as righteous by his free grace, by no merit of our own or ability. We can't keep the law, but we have this promise that we are going to be conformed more and more into the image of his son, Jesus. I've heard it described this way. Think of a father who gives his three-year-old son um, his college jersey. Uh, now, the, the son um, is, is given this jersey. It absolutely covers uh, the son. Uh, the father isn't asking for uh, the jersey back. He's not telling his three-year-old, hey, this is what you did to earn this jersey. Um, but it has his name, the family name on it, to identify this three-year-old as a beloved, adopted member of the family. That's justification. It covers you completely. Sanctification in the Christian life is just the word to use to describe this process of being conformed more and more into the image of Jesus, to grow into our justification, to fill out the shirt better, to live into it in a way that we were created and called to live into it. And so as that jersey swallows him as he's young, he actually grows and matures into a better lover, conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. That's the call of Christian freedom, to grow, to be lovers. And what's amazing in this freedom that Paul is wanting the Galatians to come away with is he, he's saying over and over that this life of freedom, you have been completely freed, church. You've been completely freed from the curse of the law. You are in. There's, there's nothing you can do to lose that status as, as secured members of the family of God. You have that by faith, by the righteousness of Christ. It is covered. And yet, as we go through this Christian life, we, we see our need, but we also, uh, more importantly maybe even, see our desire growing to become better lovers. And, and that is, we have this promise that he is going to complete that work in us, to make us better lovers of others um, that we were made to be, that we might experience true Christian freedom. So, what Paul's saying is far from being able to do whatever we want in that jersey, as it were, there is a growing ability and a desire to live this life of love, i.e., that's Christian freedom. And so, we see this in the second half of verse 13, and really in the rest of the two, two verses we read. Paul is telling the Galatians, you are meant to be formed into better lovers and not to use your freedom for your own passions. For if you do that, that is not true freedom. But just as you would become slaves again if you fell back into thinking that your obedience was earned by your own works, by your own um, obedience, that is slavery, so too you would be enslaved if you fell into thinking that you were free to sin. Because you are free in Christ, sin has no consequence in your life uh, anymore. You can do as you please according to those fleshly desires. Paul is saying that is an equal enslaving error. 
One of my favorite commentators on this passage, uh, John Stott, he described it this way. He said, Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. It is an unrestricted liberty of approach to God as his children, not an unrestricted liberty to, liberty to wallow in our own selfishness. The New English Bible puts it well, he says, you were called to be free men, only do not turn your freedom into license for your lower nature. Indeed, such liberty and unbridled license is not true liberty at all. It is another and more dreadful form of bondage, a slavery to the desires of our fallen nature. So Jesus said to the Jews, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And Paul describes in our own pre-conversion state as slaves to various passions and pleasures. Stott goes on to say, Christian freedom is no more freedom to do as I please, irrespective of the good of my neighbor, than it is freedom to do as I please in the indulgence of my flesh. It is freedom to approach God without fear, not freedom to exploit my neighbor without love. That's a long word, but what Paul boils it down to is one simple word definition. Christian freedom is love. And though it's simple, it is not simplistic. To prove my point, I'm going to invite you to do something that was very awkward for me to do, but I get to watch y'all do it now. Um, I want you to take three to five seconds and turn to the person you are sitting next to and say to them, to prove this point, that love is simple but not simplistic, to say to them, you matter to me. Three to five seconds. Okay, now, you, congratulations, you just did a kind act of love. You just, you just saw another image bearer and affirmed their worth, that they matter to you. But now I want you to take three to five seconds and I want you to say this to those same people. Your needs and well-being matter more to me than mine. All right. Y'all survived that. Well done. Um, the reason being for this, that the Christian life is a call to love, is a simple definition but is not simplistic, is because of that feeling you just felt to say something along the lines of your needs, your well-being, your thriving, your flourishing matters to me more than my own. And and what Paul's doing here, in order to drive the depth of the affection that he wants for this church in Galatia, what he wants for them is rather than just saying love, he qualifies it by saying serve, serve one another. And he's, he's highlighting just how deep this affection should be rooted in the Christian fellowship and the Christian community. What is to characterize this freedom that they are called to? It is a love that serves, that humbles, that counts another more significant than themselves. They have been freed as a community from the fear of the law, and they are being freed to love more and more in this way. They are freed from the law's demands. There's no burden of their conscience. So then what that means is we can with confidence admit when we fail. We are going to fail at this. We are not going to love as we ought. 
Some of my favorite meetings with students will start with me noticeably seeing the student uh, just just discouraged, maybe even burdened and heavy. And as the conversation progresses, they might say something along the lines of, I'm just not loving God as I should right now. To which my first thought, I always think, well, that's not news. I, I know that. I, I, I can say the same about myself, about anyone. We, we never love God as he truly deserves. But one of the questions I love asking them is, what are you doing with that? Are you turning to your own hustle and your own works to get back into his favor? Are you giving up in apathy? Are you, are, are you numbing that pain? What are you doing or are you trusting him? Are you relying on his promises? Are you leaning in to the truth that he knew that you would sin and not love him as you ought? And yet he loved you first, that he moved towards you to forgive you to give you the perfect record of his son, that you might be seen as righteous in his sight. That's the gift that we have. We are freed up to love better, knowing that we have our status secured. We are freed up to forgo our own satisfaction by running to creature comforts and pleasures for the sake of our neighbor, because we have our satisfaction met in Christ. And he's putting a picture to Christian Uh, freedom here that is characterized by what serving love looks like, but then he gives a cautionary example in verse 15 of what this community might look like if this were not to be the case. He says in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And here's where we see our third and final point, the protection of freedom. Without this community of love, without this posture of humble service to one another, Paul, he's showing here that we will quickly become consumers of one another. We will devour one another, he says. And this is a surprising and startling image in some senses um, that he uses because imagine Paul as a shepherd in the Galatian church as his sheep behind him and he's, he's looking out for wolves and dogs and predators that might attack the sheep. And what he's saying is, church, I don't want to look over my shoulder and see that sheep have taken to biting. I'm guarding you against these things, but I know that this is a temptation, that sheep can bite, and actually those sheep bites hurt maybe even more than the bites of wolves and those outside the church. It ought not to be so, it ought not to be so in the church. We see this, that this has unfortunately been a reality for God's people for many, many years. So often that the psalmist uh, can sing in, I believe it's Psalm uh, uh, 55, for it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. And what he's saying and what the psalmist is naming and, and Paul is getting at, and he's warning this church that if we as a community turn on one another, it is going to cause great pain, great hurt that we may not even be able to bear. And some of you know that pain. Some of you know the pain of uh, a spiritual mentor uh, betraying you. You know the feeling of a brother or sister in Christ uh, betraying you. And you know those bites hurt. And, and what Paul is saying is, church, it ought not to be so in the community of Christian freedom. Christian freedom is a community of love, 
that we are actually putting one another's needs before and counting uh, the other more significant than ourselves. It's this vivid imagery that Paul is warning the church against. They are to pursue this freedom because there are dire consequences if this freedom, this call to Christian love is not lived out. And I've said this, we're not going to do this perfectly. We're we're not going to love as we ought, but we can take great encouragement that because we're called to freedom, a call that we did nothing to do or deserve, uh, it's not like you had more attuned ears to hear the call uh, than others had. It came to you and made you respond to it. He called you to be justified, seen as righteous in his sight. And now he calls you to join him in the work of conforming your, uh, you more and more into the image of his son, Jesus. The one who is love incarnate. The one who loved perfectly. I'll close with this picture of the reality of, of what it might look like for a Christian community to be characterized by uh, this type of love. Imagine with me for a moment that if Jesus were to gather all the people in your, uh, in your community, all the people that know you into this room, and Jesus is talking to them about you. You're the topic of conversation. That's going to include your family, your friends, your, your coworkers, your bosses, your employees, the acquaintance at the gym, the person at the grocery store that you check out with all the time. Every person you know, Jesus is addressing, talking to them about you. What do you think are going to be some of the things that he says to them? Well, he's going to say things that he has said to all of us. He's going to say things like, when, when she does something that is wrong or evil towards you, seek her good. Don't try and get back at her and repay evil for evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 when you're, when you're at a party with, with her, and someone you know better shows up or, or someone who has potential benefits to elevate your career or status that you want to get to know better, give preference to her. Show her honor by not leaving her for a relationship that is more advantageous to you. Romans 12.10. When he comes to mind, don't complain against him, but pray for him. James 4, 5, uh, 9, and 16. If you've wronged him, Confess to him. James 5.16 If he's wronged you and asked for forgiveness, forgive him as often as he asks. If you notice she is discouraged, down, and broken, encourage her. Build her up. Stimulate them when they seem discouraged to want to uh, stimulate them to love and good deeds. If they seem lonely, be hospitable. Welcome them into your home. On and on and on we could go. But this is the invitation that we have as a part of this Christian freedom. The purpose of our Christian freedom is to experience this Christian call to love. That not only are we called to offer it, but as I just read, you are a recipient of all of those commands that Jesus has given to every single person in your life. You are a recipient of his love first and all the people he has called to love you like that. And when we see that the Christian community can function out of that, that freeing, uh, self-emptying love, we actually will be freed up to experience and offer 
that love. That's an invitation and a promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, you have uh, spoken to us, uh, your children, and we are grateful. We are grateful that we can recognize your voice. We're grateful that we can hear you when you call um, and recognize that that is only by your grace. Uh, We thank you that you do not leave us as we are, but you call us to freedom. And what you say over and over again is that you made us to be lovers, to love you and to love neighbor. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would find us faithful. Find us faithful to respond to this call to love. We pray all this in your powerful and precious name. Amen. Church, I invite you to 